over the years of my life, I've had a lot of people who've been curious about Jesus and curious about Christianity. Early on, when we first lived here, uh, we, uh, we met a couple friend, Eric and his wife, and we did a lot together. We were both Midwesterners that had gotten transplanted to Kentucky, and so we would get together every Friday, and we would play, shh, euchre. I know. If you're not from the Midwest, you don't know what euchre is. But we play euchre every Friday night, and one Friday night, Jenny needed a prescription filled, and we, and we did that at the time at Drug Mart, which seemed to always close at like 8 o'clock or earlier. And so it was 7.45, and I was like, no, i got to get Jenny's prescription. And so Eric is like, I'll go with you. I'm like, okay, all right. So boom, we get in the car. The door slams shut. No sooner than I'm pulling away than two questions come right out of his mouth. Hey, um, Max, so like this heaven thing, how do you know you're going there for sure? And is it really real? Out of nowhere! We're just playing euchre, just cream, you know, okay? And then high school, in my junior year, uh, there was Amy. Amy was a literature major, and she was kind of like, uh, did the, uh, what's the thing called? Yearbook. She did the yearbook and the newspaper, anything related to that. She, uh, she had hair like River Song. I don't know if you follow Doctor Who, but River Song's got big hair. Like, stick her finger in an electric sock. <laughs> and that was Amy. <laughs> okay, and you know, back in the 80s, it was okay to have big hair, and so she fit right in because everybody else was doing it, you know, you know, artificially. Um, but Amy was always kind of sad, you know. This was before you could get away with wearing all black, okay. You know, if that had been in vogue at the time, she would have wore all black, you know. She's just kind of sad and into literature. One day, uh, it, this is in literature class, junior year, she comes up to me, she's like, hey, Mark, that's my real name, that's what people called me back then. Hey, Mark, um, have, you, have you ever read C.S. Lewis? I'm like, yeah, loves, I love Lewis. And she's like, wouldn't it be awesome if Aslan were real? I mean, it's just out of nowhere. And the bell rang, okay? Then uh, the, when our kids were younger, before we had three, when we only had two, they swam for the Firebrook swim team up in Lexington. So we'd drive all the way up and, and go to, and I had to do it like twice a week. Had to, I got to do it. Let me phrase that. I was a privilege. It really was. Oh, good. Jill is not here. It was a privilege, John. It really was, okay? So to drive them up to Firebook, and I would stay because it was too much of a pain to come all the way back to Nicholasville and then all the way back. So I would hang out with all the other moms that had dropped their kids off. Yeah. Um, and so there was this, that's when I met Leslie. Leslie didn't fit in to, uh, she was never included in the tables that had the soccer moms and the doctor's wives and the, you know, churchgoers. And I, I could tell that she had done something. I just didn't know what it was. And so I was at the table. It was me and a single guy and a lesbian couple, you know, the evangelical pastor. I mean, so I, I invited Leslie to our table. And so halfway through the summer, out come these questions, just out of nowhere. And I could tell she wasn't itching for a fight. I and mean, this is an honest question. She goes, hey, so why can't, why can't Christians be more like the Jesus I read about in the Bible? I'm like, Leslie? You, you reading the Bible? He's like, yeah. I'm reading through the Gospels right now. I mean, when I was younger, the younger version of me, when I would get asked questions, I felt like I needed to defend the faith. I mean, I had two degrees from Wheaton College. Not one, but two. Two for one. Okay? Armed with truth and theological insight and historical knowledge. When somebody would ask a question or be curious, I felt that it was my job to kind of set them straight and explain everything in a theologically coherent, historically uh, informed manner. And I didn't realize that at the time, every time I did that, I was dousing their curiosity. 
was actually, you know, putting a, a, throwing water over it. The, the greatest example of this is my grandpa, John. He was actually my step-grandpa, and he was one of these self-made millionaires. I know, like, how many of those do you know? I, I knew one. <laughs> it was Grandpa John, and, and he'd pull, your up, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, and he lived in Las Vegas, had a telemarketing company, big prize warehouse, I mean, and he was known in Vegas, in circles in Vegas, as Big Bad John. My Grandpa John. <laughs> and so, in the summer of 1986, I actually worked in a shipping department. I was one of the guys packaging stuff up to ship them out. Um, Big Bad John. He had that, he had that, that moniker because he was, like, literally nine feet tall and uh, had an attitude. Like, at, at his funeral, the word that people used was fierce. But when he was alive, it was like a swear word. <laughs> he used to describe Big Bad John. Okay, so the summer of 1986, unbeknownst to me, he has be begun going to church twice a month. Grandpa John, angry Grandpa John. Grandpa John that skewers the Christians all the time. He's going to church twice, twice a month, and he was reading the New Testament. And out of nowhere, after work one day, we're in the family room, and he's downing these... Uh, it, I don't know what it is, but it smelled like mint, but it had a kick. I, you could just kind of feel the alcohol from there. So it was a mint, whatever. Boom, boom, okay? And then out comes the question. So, so do you think God's going to make me give up all my money? You think God would ask me to give away all my money? Um, so I, you know, I do the theological thing, and I'm, well, it's grace. And I expounded the doctrine of grace and how you can't earn your way into heaven and da, 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 get done explaining. He's going, yeah, 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 I've, I've heard all that. I could tell that to other people. What I want to know, what I want to know is, is God going to ask me to give up all my money? If you're older than the age of 35, you are probably familiar with the four spiritual laws and the Roman road. If you're under the age of 18, I'm talking a foreign language right now. But you've probably seen the glove or the bracelet. At the very least, you've seen WWJD, right? The different colors, you know, sin is one color, Jesus is another color, death is another color, usually black, I think. Um, or maybe that's sin. I always get the colors confused. So if you're under the age of 18, I want to say to you today, you may not be sure about what you believe yet, but here's what I know about your friends. They're not sure either. And when you interface with your friends, you're, you, they say stuff, don't they? Sometimes they ask a question, and sometimes they say things, and you think, that is so wrong. Here's the question I have for you under the age of 18 as we talk about what we're going to talk about today is simply this. What if, what if, what if it's not your job to correct your friends all the time? What if? What if it's just about learning more about what it is they're thinking and what's behind their thinking, okay? So this series is a series about evangelism. It's about sharing your faith. And today I want to encourage you to step back from, step away from methods that are contrived, methods that are uh, artificial, and I want you to instead embrace methods that are relational and a little bit more authentic. And there's no better way to do that than to ask questions back, to ask questions. Jesus was asked 183 questions in the four Gospels we have in the New Testament. 183 times people come to him and say things like, hey, um, teacher, so like it's the Sabbath, you know, so can I do this or can I not do that? And you know, what's your take? Or, hey, um, Jesus, so like uh, there's all these commandments. Can you tell me which one is the best one? Or so, hey, Jesus, like, so 
you know, the Pharisees say that, you know, and then the Sadducees say, so what do you say? I mean, they're always asking him questions, 183 times. Do you know how many times Jesus answers their questions directly? Close. Three. Ding. Three out of 183 times he answers the question directly. If you had a Jewish mother, you would know what this is like. Where are you going? Why do you want to know? <laughs> so how was your week? What's my week always like in South Florida? You know, it's, you know, it's, there's, it's just kind of a Jewish way of doing it. But Jesus never has question and answer sessions. He has question and question sessions. To the paralytic, he says, asks, what do you want me to do for you? The guy's paralyzed. I mean, you and I are sitting there, um, Jesus, I'll take healing for 500, please. You know, <laughs> what do you want me to do for you? Dog! To the Pharisee who's angry that he's done something, you know, how do you read the law? To the woman caught in adultery, so, hey, where did everybody go? Where are your accusers? To the disciples that are bickering about who's going to be on top, who's going to be number one. Hey, so who do, who do people say that I am? So, questions. In fact, the people asked Jesus questions 183 times that we have recorded. Jesus fires back 307 questions. One such example is found in Matthew 19. That's where we're going to be today. Matthew chapter 19. In my Bible, it's simply titled, The Rich Man. Okay? So, let's start in Matthew 19, verse 16. Here's the first, first verse of what we're going to look at today. 19. Someone came to Jesus with this question. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? We know this, this story is recorded in three different Gospels. One of them says a young man. One of them says a rich man. So we know that the guy's younger, and he's got some bucks. He's loaded. He starts off with teacher. So there's some aspect of him that's thinking, Jesus, hey, you might have a take on something that I'd like to know about. What good deed must I do to have eternal life? Now, we know from a statement he says in just a little bit that we're going to look at that he's kept the law. He, in his mind, he's done everything right. Um, he's probably a Pharisee because he says something like that. And because he's wealthy, he's probably part of the retainer class. In the first century, that would have been the top 5%. Maybe you've driven past their homes in, in greater Jessamine County, right? The top 5%. Um, we know what that's like here. Back then, no different. So he had resources at his disposal. He had made it in life. All right? And he comes to Jesus with a question. And the question kind of reveals that maybe, maybe he's done something that he's not sure the law, make, keeping the law is, is enough to make up for. Maybe he's unsure that keeping the law really is enough in and of itself to in, inherit eternal life. So there's a struggle on the inside. There's uncertainty, and he's curious. And he comes to Jesus. Well, what does Jesus do? Verse 17. Why ask me about what is good? What good deed must I do? Why ask me about what's good? So it's a question with a question. But this time, this is one of the times where he actually gives a specific thing. So he fires back with a question because he's wanting to flesh out what's going on in this guy's heart. Where is he really? What's under the hood? And then he says, there's only one God is good. But to answer your question, in other words, to be direct, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. It's real simple. Keep the commandments. 
right? Verse 18 and 19. Which ones, the man asks. And Jesus replied, you must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, honor your father and mother, love your neighbor as yourself. <sighs> Basically, he, he lists five of the Ten Commandments and the second of the two greatest commandments. And by doing so, any Jew at that time would have gone, oh, you mean everything. Got it. Okay. Yeah, everything. Every last command. Got it. That's what kind that means. Look at what the young man says. You and I look at this, and, and we want to laugh, right? I mean, 21st century America, nobody's perfect. We all know that, right? And what does he say? I've obeyed all the commandments, all 603 of them. Really? Yes, you and I have that sense, but in the first century, they really believed that it was possible. Even Paul, a guy who converted to our side, right? Okay. Paul says in Philippians 3, 6, he says, when I was a Jew, I was blameless. In other words, I did everything right. Just like a Pharisee would say. I've done everything the right way. And that's this young man's perspective. I've done everything right. I'm good. I've kept the commands. All 603 of them. But there's something that's uncertain, right? Why would he ask the question in the first place? Why would he come to Jesus? Why does he think he's got to do something else than he's already doing? There's something going on. And Jesus, sensing this, totally nails it. Look at the next verse. Jesus told him, well, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Not 10%, not 18.5%, not even half. What does he say? Go give it all. Now, that's kind of a radical step. I mean, really, all of it? We've got to give it all away? Can, you know, can we settle out of court, Jesus? I mean, can we come out on an agreement here? I mean, when you say all, what do you mean, really mean by all? I want to be perfect, and boom. It's such an extreme statement, but look at the response of the young man in the next verse. Verse 22. When the young man heard this, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. The young man knows that Jesus has correctly pinpointed something in his heart, which is basically, okay, yeah, I keep the commands, I do this stuff, but, you know, what I've achieved here, this is mine, what's yours is yours, and this is mine. And, you, and if you know anything about God, God's an all-or-nothing kind of a God, right? You know, it's, God wants things in his terms. That means everything. Don't hold anything back. And so this young man, the, the uncertainty, the uneasy has is because he knows. You can have this much, but no more. This part's mine. Is that okay? You okay with that, God? And there's a sense on the inside, and he knows that's not going to work with God. And he goes to Jesus because he knows that's the case. Now, he walks away having decided he can't, he can't give in. He can't yield. Now, Jesus interacts with other people in the New Testament where they do, right? There's the woman at the well. We're going to look at that next week where he pinpoints and nails something, but she walks toward him, not away from him. And then there's the man Zacchaeus, right? And he ponies up and says, hey, I'll give it back, and I'll pay four times back everybody I've stolen money from. I mean, so the proof's in the pudding. There's Martha. There's all kinds of people that Jesus interfaces with, and they walk toward him when he presses a soft spot. But this guy, this guy walks away. I don't think Jesus ever would have gotten there with this young man 
if he had give, given the fully orbed theological question, you know, a theological, historically informed answer to what good deed must I do to inherit eternal life? Because there's something going on under the hood. So let, let me ask you a question, O oh, team generations. Actually, I want to ask a couple, right? Here's my first question. When it comes to God or spirituality or faith and people you know ask you a question or they say something that's a little off, is your knee-jerk reaction to kind of explain or correct or somehow give the right answer? Is that what's at the tip of your tongue? And if so, why? Is it more important for them to think all the right things in the right way? Or is it more important for them to take a step toward Jesus? Sometimes those are the same thing. Sometimes those are a little different. My second question is, have you ever considered that maybe, just maybe, that friend or coworker or relative who asks you a question about God, asks you a question about the faith, it's because there's something on the inside that's driving them? Have you ever thought that maybe sometimes the question isn't about the question, it's what, what's driving the question? Okay, so the next time you find yourself in a circumstance like I find myself in, you know, my friend Eric, so how, how do you get to heaven? Or Leslie, so... How come Christians can't be more like the Jesus I read in the Bible? When you find yourself in situations like that, first of all, pause, and if you, you want to give the theological answer, swallow it, swallow it. Wait, and then seek for clarity, clarify, ask questions back. What are they saying? What do they really want to know? What do they believe right now? And then discern their curiosity level. Are they just kicking the tire because they're bored and they want to get into a fight? Or are they really curious because there is a difference, right? So here's how to put this into practice. And I'm going to post these things on Facebook. But the first step I'd encourage you to do is develop a standard set of questions that you have ready at the tip of your tongue that you can interface with when, you, when you're having these spiritual conversations with your friends and your relatives and your coworkers. Questions like, so, have you ever had a spiritual experience? Or have you ever felt like God actually talked to you or spoke to you? Have you ever had a moment where you felt like God was speaking directly to you? Did you know that the overwhelming majority of Americans believe that God has spoken to them personally, but they never mention it because they're afraid they think that it's the only, they're the only one and they're weird? If you ask that question, what a way to open a door. Um, so what's your, here's another question. So what's your take on God? What do you think he's like? Um, my personal favorite. So what's wrong with Christians today? Well, how long have you got, Max? <laughs> Let me get out my list. What's life really about? Do you, hey, do you believe in destiny? Do you believe like people are actually destined for something in life? These are all faith questions. Um, are people more spiritual today than they were 10 years ago? Or what's the biggest thing that's happened in your life in the last month? And again, I'll put all these questions on Facebook, but if, if, you, if you get those internalized, and you have to figure out which ones work for you and your personality, but if you can get some standard questions in there that you can fire off readily and with an earnest curiosity on your own to hear what the other person has to say, you can cover some amazing ground. Um, so... Own a standard set of questions that you have at your fingertips or at the tip of your tongue. Second thing, say outlandish things. Really? Yes, say outlandish things sometimes. 
Uh, I love what Brian Hall will sometimes say to people when he sees them uh, serve uh, the poor or uh, they are exceedingly generous about something. He'll say, you know, that reminds me, you know who you remind me of? Who? Jesus. And if they're not a person of faith, it always catches them off guard. They're like, really? I, I remind you of Jesus? Yeah. And then it gives them an opportunity to say, well, you know, here's what Jesus did. Here's what Jesus said. Really? He said that? He's not bad. No, he's not bad. <laughs> okay? So say outlandish things. The third thing, point people to Jesus and his kingdom. Um, pique their curiosity about Jesus. See, there, there's a million issues with the church and Christians. Jesus rises above that. If you can, get it, point them to Jesus. Point them to the Gospels and get them started there. Uh, let me give you a case of how this really plays out. I got to sit down with one of the young men in my life recently. He's a 24-year-old young buck and single. Uh, but sorry, ladies. Um, we, we spent a good part of the first part of the conversation about women, um, which we typically do when we get together. And then it kind of went into porn for a little bit, and then back to women. Um, and he's not really interested in women right now. Go figure. But, you know, we're talking about the gamut of things and single life. And, blah, 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 and, and he brings this up. I don't even bring this up. I don't even know how we got here. But he says he brings up heaven. He brings up God in heaven in the conversation. And he says... He says, you know, you know, Max, I, I'm really, I'm really, I'm, I, th I think I'm going to go to heaven. I'm really, I'm really working on going to heaven. And I, and I can't resist. He opened the door, so I'm like, really? You believe in heaven? I thought you were smarter than that. I know. That was his, he's like, you're a pastor. You're supposed to believe in heaven. I'm like, well, of course I do, but you, come on. Why do you really think it's real? So he, now he's on, he's like, well, yeah. And he explains and I love this. He goes, and I, and I ask, uh, so you believe in hell too? Or just, just, and he says, well, you can't have one without the other. I love his logic. <laughs> I'm like, okay. So there's two options and, you know, and you're shooting for heaven. And, and so how, and I ask him, how do you, so how does somebody get, go there? How do you go there? How do you get there? How do you know? And he, and he spells out for me, he says, well, Again, at first, he's incredulous. He's like, Europe, you already know the answer to this. I said, well, I know what the God Squad thinks. I just want to, I want to know your take on it. You know, what do you, what do you, what do you think about this whole heaven thing? How do you get there? And so he, he lays it out. Love it. Well, you should go to church. You should pray. You should read your Bible. You should be good. You know, sometimes we're good. Sometimes you're bad. You know, you should be good more than you're bad. And I guess you should probably try and help people. Now, he doesn't go to church ever. So as soon as he lays out this list... I say to him, dude, you are never in church. You must read your Bible and pray a lot. He looks down at the floor, and you can see his whole demeanor has sunk at this point. Yeah, I don't, I don't do that a lot. I'm like, man, that's got to suck. You're probably not going to make the cut. <laughs> he looks up at me, and he says, yeah, that's kind of what I've been thinking. Boom. Now we're in a good zone and in a good place. All because there's questions back and forth. And I got a chance to lay out the gospel, lay out how things work. You know, at the end of it, he's like, nobody ever explained this this way before. It's like awesome. I'm like, I know. Okay, so here's the thing, team generations. Don't feel like you have to have an answer 
for every question that's thrown at you. In fact, if somebody throws a question at you, you got to throw a question right back. Enter into a dialogue. Figure out what's going on in their life and what they think about the issue. Get people curious about Jesus. And to do that, it requires an interplay and lots and lots of questions. So I want to encourage and empower you to be great question askers. Right? So if last week we're busting the categories, this week we're saying set the theological reasoning and historically informed stuff aside just for the moment and ask really awesome questions and see where that takes you.